Well, hello and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-22 CISFA past president. As I am recording this pod on a Wednesday morning, Dana is busy doing other more important things. So it's just you and me today. So what else? But let's get this show going. And again, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing, Cisva. It's time for our first cup. And today it is salted caramel. Right out of the K-cup machine that I bought years and years ago to keep my student workers happy. And now we have varieties of coffee to pick from. Well, as you can tell, if you've figured it out, this is a Wednesday. I'm recording this early in the morning because Tuesday got away from me. Normally, I'd do the news for you guys all on Tuesdays, but things get uh, a little busy here at the office. So we're going to get right into the news. There's not a whole lot of news out there. Most of it comes from NASFA. And in fact, much of it is about the recent federal student aid training conference just a week ago. First article, and again, I'll give you links to all this in the show notes, is about Ed delivering on their priorities and verification overview and other things on federal policy updates at the recent federal aid student conference. Or I should say federal student aid training conference. So there was a lot of detailed sessions highlighting policy updates and procedures from Department of Ed. In a keynote address, they had Education Secretary Miguel Cardona there to talk three challenges that Ed was prioritizing, you know, ensuring equitable, equitable recovering from the pandemic, pushing for investments in college affordability, and implementing policies to help institutions commit to equity. So there's quite a bit covered that day, uh, it seems like, you know. And so this article talks going into things like, again, public service, loan forgiveness is a big thing. A lot to know about the coming 2022-23 school year and verification. Uh, because as uh, we've talked about on the show before, they've kind of put a halt to that. The part of the process where a lot of schools verify income uh, and taxes and stuff like that for about 30% of students uh, because we're in the middle of a pandemic and it was becoming to be kind of a, a burden to students to supply the information and get back to their schools on time. But it looks like we are going back into the business of verification. So a little bit of an update on that at this point, some update on, uh, you know, Pell Grant amounts and all. So this was just coming out of day two, but there was certainly a lot of news uh, going on throughout the days of this training conference. The next article I had was about the wrap-up on all of this. And again, something I heard on a different podcast, it was either NASFA's Off the Cuff or the one that's called the Higher Ed Shift being done by some of the uh, upper-level staff at Campus Logic, was to talk about whether this federal student aid conference 
which has gone online for the last couple of years, will return to being an in-person conference. Now, although that's not in this article that I snipped away from uh, NASFA, it is talk that uh, the feds, at least, are very happy with the turnout about how many more people can do it and go to this training conference when it has been virtual. But I can say going to the in-person ones, and I haven't gone for a number of years now, uh, they would hold it in cities that had very large hotels like Vegas uh, because they would have six, 6,500 you know, 6,000 to 6,500 people attending. And there's something to be said for being in the room with people from Department of Ed, Office of Inspector General, or other parts of the federal government to get answers uh, versus, you know, this online process where, you know, even the best of chat boxes or Q&A boxes on a screen uh, doesn't make for very good conversation. It goes, you know, it's good for getting materials out there, but even for people I know who go to conferences like this and are like, well, I'll just, you know, download the PowerPoints and read through them later. I've done that a few times. I've done the part one of that. I've downloaded dozens of PowerPoints from an FSA conference that I couldn't go to. Ask me if I read them. The honest answer, probably not. And the Department of Ed, I have to say, they are one of the key uh, organizations out there that subscribes to the idea of uh, making sure their PowerPoints have all the details on it. I mean, there's pluses and minuses to that, of course. The pluses being you don't have to worry about missing out on material. Uh, The minus to that being when you see them in session, live, or even a virtual world, you're literally spending all your time reading back what's on the screen, or they are, and maybe adding a few things, but it's literally all there up on screen. And after having read the book about how PowerPoint makes us stupid, uh, you'll learn that it may not be the way you want to gear your PowerPoints for an audience, of course, keeping in mind just the one general thing. You know, do you want your audience to focus on you when you're talking or focus on all the writing you have on your slides? So which one do you want? But again, it gets all their material there. So there's a bit of a wrap up here on uh, some of the information that I'll give you another link to another NASA article. So something, uh, because this is coming up and it's coming up quickly, is from the Federal Student Aid Conference, their chief operating officer, Richard Cordray, um, you know, has announced and it's been out there that student loan repayment will start February 1st of the coming year. Many students, as you know, if not all of them really, have had repayment put on hold during the pandemic. But time is coming around for students to reenter. And so FSA, Federal Student Aid, is asking the financial aid community to help us raise awareness of the return to repayment. So there's going to be resources from their office to help borrowers prepare to resume repayment. Um, And we really need to get the message out to our former students out there as much as possible about the idea that they're going to be re-entry. Because there are some caveats to this. 
uh, I believe, as I understand, has a re-enter payment. If you say had auto payments set up from a bank account, you have to reconfirm that. And a thought there makes sense. You want to make certain that for those who have been on break from making payment, they may have moved. Thus, there will be some delay to getting things rolling again. Maybe they've uh, changed banking if they were out of work. There could be a lot of reasons why not only is the student not ready to repay, it may have to, in fact, take some kind of other deferment or forbearance. But if they've changed their banking stuff, you wouldn't want to be the person who had a pretty large loan payment uh, coming out every month, had it off for a couple years, and then suddenly you're like, wow, where would that $500 go? So there's going to be a little bit of that. So there's some stuff to get students eased back into this. So it's a pretty decent article here. I will, uh, again, link that in our show notes. One last thing here from NASFA, although I think I have a closing one from them. So it's a 30-day NASFA member comment period has opened on some proposed bylaw changes for the association. So following months of review, it says here, and discussion by the Governance Committee and Legal Counsel, uh, the Board of Directors of NASFA voted back on November 16th to share proposed edits to the bylaws with members for a 30-day common period as required by their own rules. You know, these are legally binding rules that outline how the board of the association operates. So they do this, you know, you know, periodically, although it does say the last time the bylaws were comprehensively reviewed was back in 2012-2013. So there's three categories of uh, changes, apparently. One would be changes to add to positions of a secretary and diversity officer to the board <clears throat> as appointed um, and as voting members. Changes to eliminate references to outdated system of commission and commission directors. And some other miscellaneous changes addressing issues like term limits for treasurer, moving unneeded detail related to membership from the bylaws into their policy and procedures, and clearly defining the reasons for member termination and updates to and relating to virtual meetings. So if you have comments, you certainly may leave that. There's links within the NASFA article on this to a red line copy of their proposed updates and a summary document with explanatory text so you can understand what they're putting out there as proposed changes. Talking about time to change, I think it's time for a little bit of music, and then we'll roll right back into some news. And just like that, we're back for, of course, our second cup segment. A little refill there on the uh, salted caramel. Which, unfortunately, I picked the too big of a coffee cup. And so it's now getting cold. It will not make it to the end of the show. So found out uh, a really interesting article. And this is something uh, it goes along with our Q&A that we've done before on the show uh, where I've quizzed my co-host Dana, 
out at Financial Aid Solutions, a company that offers some services for a, a number of different financial aid people, uh, different offices and all. You know, they help out with a variety of services, uh, third-party servicing, you know, backup help for offices. They had a real nice, simple, straightforward top 10 acronyms used by financial aid directors. And I have to say, I think I pass understanding all 10 of them. Some of these we've talked about before, and they may be a little more common out there. Of course, number one at the list, FAFSA, free application for federal student aid. Pretty straightforward. Next one was COA, or cost of attendance. We've talked about that. That's how a college figures out the estimated total cost for a school year, because that's the starting point then to figuring out financial aid eligibility. Third, something that you know doesn't get talked about as much anymore, but it's been around for a long time. FERPA, F-E-R-P-A, and that is the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. In a sense, this isn't specific to students in higher ed. It actually addresses K-12. through But what it does is it addresses who has rights to in your, a student education record. For example, students in K-12 through up through high school, the parents literally have the rights to the records to see that. But pretty much as soon as they hit higher ed or 18, that flips. And so a student coming to a college suddenly has rights for their records. And it, uh, that involves meaning that parents can't uh, call up and get grades. A friend or a spouse can't call up and ask if a student's in class or where their class is or what their class schedule is. And even within a campus... It limits this FERPA law or act, limits what departments could ask for information for a student. So, for example, a professor just can't ask to know who's financial aid recipient students and who isn't because it's not a real need-to-know basis. Now, it doesn't mean that someone from a financial aid office like me can't go to a class or get on a Zoom or put a message out on a professor's virtual class wall, or whatever they call it, uh, about uh, don't forget to apply for aid if you're having problems uh, buying your books and supplies. But it really does come down to need to know on a campus, and then for the individual at least, the student's records are the student's records. That's the long and short of the FERPA, Federal Educational Rights and Privacy Act. Next one, ECAR, something that we don't talk too much about, E-C-A-R. This is the Eligibility and Certification Report. Um, in a sense, what this is, this is an output document, as we call it, that we get when we do our renewal of our program participation agreement with the federal government. That PPA, in a sense, is our agreement between the school and the federal government to offer federal aid. And as part of that process, especially for community colleges, we have to list out all our programs that are not degrees. So certificate programs, short-term programs and all. And so this is part of this because an e-car, in a sense, is a snapshot of a school's participation, programs, locations, uh, board members, your uh, chief executive, etc. And this is, again, something that is just held between the college and the Department of Ed. We'll run through this list real quick. Five is FISAP. That's something we talked about recently on the show. That's a 
yearly report for those of us who have federal work study uh, funding or FSEOG funding. It's a report we have to do. Six, MPN, the master promissory note. Uh, this is something that, uh, in a sense, a student or a parent signs if they're taking out a student loan or a parent loan, uh, and it's done through the federal government. NSLDS is number seven on the list, the National Student Loan Data System. It's somewhere where we as schools can access information about a student's records as far as borrowing in federal loans or Pell Grant that they've received in one centralized place. It's also a website students can access to, in a sense, track their student loans and their Pell Grant. Number eight, COD, Common Origination and Disbursement. It's a system that we use here at the school. It's a federal system for information that we need to uh, get from back and forth between the government and us regarding uh, student usage of Pell Grant and a number of other federal aid programs. Number nine, SAP, Satisfactory Academic Progress. We certainly have talked about that. That's the uh, general concept that a school has to track, that a student is making academic progress towards completing their program. And if they're not, how they may lose financial aid eligibility. Last on the list, something I'll say that most of us in financial aid would rather not talk about. It's the Voldemort of uh, uh, financial aid terms, R2T4. Return to Title IV. And in a sense, this is the process that we use that determines whether a student owes money back to the feds if they drop out of a semester. So as a student attends, they're in a sense, quote-unquote, earning their financial aid. But if they don't make it at least, the number is 60%, at least 60% of the way through a semester before completely withdrawing, they have not earned 100% of their money, and thus they may have to pay some back. The reason I put it out there is something we'd rather not talk about is it is a complicated process, and the Department of Ed only made it more complicated over the summer. Obviously, we have to be accountable as schools. Students need to be accountable. But the Department of Ed has never done anything to make this an easy process. And it's been this has been around since, it's got to be mid-late 90s, this particular. There was a process beforehand. Um, but it's been around quite a while, this R2-T4. But it takes a lot of staff time and work. And it's hard then sometimes to explain that. A student may owe some money back to the Department of Ed, but the school can collect that money on their behalf, but not for more than maybe a, a semester or two. And then it gets handed off to the Department of Ed to collect. And then possibly, even if a school hasn't taken any of their federal aid, like at many community colleges, most of that money gets refunded right back to the student. Here in California, most students are getting a fee waiver, what we now call the California College Promise Grant, that waives their tuition and fees. So maybe a couple dollars of Pell Grant went towards, you know, a student rep fee or student government fee, but the rest of the money gets refunded to a student. But through this calculation, through, well, again, federal formula, a school ends up having to owe some money back and has to pay on behalf of the student. Then what do we do? Us as schools, 
if we have the time and energy, we go out and then bill the student back for that money. Because in a sense, it's coming out of school funds. So again, very complicated. And I've said way too much about this. I don't want to say anymore. One last thing here from NASFA, and then we'll move on to one last article. So they've got a number of webinars coming up in the new year under their Let's Talk program handled by the Blue Icon Advisors. You know, that's the NASFA consulting wing. Just to give you a rundown of some of those topics that are coming up, there's going to be talk about Financial Aid Awareness Month. So there's a session in later January on that. Financial Aid and Retention Initiatives comes up in February. Policies and Procedures Checkup comes up in March. Data Security, something we should all listen in on, even if we don't think it's our job, in April. And then last, Program Review Preparation, uh, sometime late in May. A couple different times for all of these. Usually it's like an 11 a.m. or 2 p.m. Eastern Times. So count that up to be 8 o'clock or 11 o'clock out here on Pacific Coast. But definitely worthwhile to attend these webinars if you can. And then our last piece of news for the day. University business article on the top two concerns for colleges as they assess pending FAFSA changes. We've talked quite a bit about that over this last half year or so. With the passage of the FAFSA Simplification Act back in December 2020, there's a lot of changes going on. Some have already been put in place, we talked about. You know, male students no longer have to be registering with Selective Service as an eligibility requirement for federal aid. You still have to do it, though, because it could affect other federal benefits down the line. So males, 18 to 25, don't skip out. The other one that they enacted right away was there's a question on the FAFSA about drug convictions and in a sense what it is. If you were convicted of possessing or selling illegal drugs while receiving financial aid, it could impact your aid eligibility. Now, of course, we still don't want students to do that, but it's no longer considered to be an eligibility requirement uh, for this current school year. But there's a lot of other things here coming down the line uh, and, you know, one of the things will be the change of understanding expected family contribution turns into what's called student aid index. So this is going to be something uh, we're definitely going to have to look at and try to remember how that, in a sense, affects student aid eligibility. So as it says here in the article, it was noteworthy that 75% of those leaders surveyed by the National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators so what do you know? We get right back to NASFA and Oracle, who helped with the survey. Say they expected to be challenged by the shift from EFC to SAI, that expected family contribution to student aid index. Nearly two-thirds believe Pell Grant factors may present obstacles. So, you know, it talks about, you know, the social spending uh, plan that's going through right now through Congress and how that, you know, hopefully will raise the amount of dollars in Pell Grants. So more students getting Pell Grant, more students getting larger Pell Grants. But uh, these are some of the bigger changes. You know, there's some formulaic things too, but th th this definitely seems to be like maybe the two factors uh, that do give us some concern because we talk about 
EFC and such so much. And we, you know, we've had fairly predictable raises in Pell Grant over the last few years. But again, with some of these bills, uh, spending bills from federal, uh, from Congress, it's starting to offer up a, a lot of different uh, mixes into the, you know, uh, things into the mix here that will affect how much it will go up year to year because there's some, some base set amounts that get added to every year. Uh, so it's getting to be a little complicated. I'm going to let you read the article. It's a nice short article. It's not too, too long, but at least it's a primer on what's going on out there in the world of challenges, I'll say, we're being faced with here in the financial aid world. But until then, let's have a little music, move ourselves on to the end of the show. And just like that, we are, of course, back for the last segment of the show, our last sips. I threw in a live one there for everybody. So without Dana, this is a, uh, the show did run fairly fast today. I'd like to say I have five minutes left here to talk to you about a, and I dare you to a selection, but I don't really have anything quite yet. Um, I've been wrapped up on trying to buy gifts for family and friends and office workers and trying to make sure that they all arrive within the right amount of time. And if I'm going somewhere, that if I have to have them shipped somewhere, that they'll get there also. So it's it's been a, uh, what can I say? I dare you to not do what Dennis does, which is wait till he's at the point of breaking with, with the amount of work left to do for the year, for the semester, and then pile on top of that shopping and Christmas cards. I still send Christmas cards out and travel, which, uh, it looks like I'm trying to do, but it's sure it's hard to book a, a flight sometimes when you're trying to avoid some of the worst of airports and worst times to fly out of airports. So if only I had a private plane just for a, a day. I only would need it for a day if that's all I could get. I would fly in overnight, land where my family is, the other parts of my family, brothers and mothers and all, stay for a nice lunch and dinner and then jump back on the plane and be back in LA. But otherwise uh, we're not going to be getting that today. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think we have any benefactors of the show that uh, have talked about having a, a net jet uh, account. But if you're out there, uh, just like I would say, you know, always, if you have topics to discuss or free flights on private planes, Email us here at wbcsfa at gmail.com. Otherwise, I think we have hit the end of our show. But don't worry, everyone. There's always a next episode. Hopefully on Friday we'll get it recorded. And we'll probably talk at that point about holiday schedules for podcasts. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in to the What's Brewing Seasfa Show. And as I said before, if you have something to say or you have topics for us to discuss... Email us at wbcisfa at gmail.com. You can find this and all What's Brewing Cisfa podcasts on Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. 
What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana Yarbrough. This has been episode number 143, recorded Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. Have a great day and have a great week.